Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now, let me tell you now, we're not going to cover all this tonight. Uh, but I'm going to read this section, and we're going to see how far we get. All right. Then after 14 years, Paul says, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no, no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, as you can see, there is a lot of stuff here. And we're going to take a week, two, three to cover this section of Scripture. But for tonight, what I want to do is just kind of begin with the fact that many scholars, and I agree with them, many scholars believe that what Paul is referencing here when he talked about how 14 years later he went back up to Jerusalem, what Paul is referencing is the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. And we're going to take some time tonight to take a look at that and break it down. Um, but as you remember, we've seen earlier already, uh, Paul had already been to Jerusalem just briefly, and then he hadn't gone back for a long time. Remember, he's illustrating to the people that he's writing here in this book that he, his message isn't from man, and this gospel that he preaches didn't come from man, that it came from the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's now referencing another trip back to Jerusalem, and while he was there, he was dealing with a certain issue. So I want to stop for a second. And have us turn in our Bibles back to Acts chapter 15. And let's take a look at verses 1 through 21. And let's take a look at this thing that I believe that he's referencing. This time when he went back to Jerusalem and dealt with a certain issue. Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. <clears throat> this is Luke's account of what happened. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. 
Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first, and by the way, that's Peter, that's Simon Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with the words, with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For, for from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Now, <clears throat> we're going to stop here. We could go on and then see how that decision pleased the elders and the apostles. And then, then went to the church and the church decided who was going to go with a letter back to the church there in Antioch to say to them, we're sorry that some people from our church troubled you about this. Uh, and we, here's what we've decided. You don't need to be circumcised uh, and so on. But what I want to do tonight is to kind of refresh us a little bit. If you remember back from Acts 13, verse 1, Paul and Barnabas were two of the elders in the church in Antioch. They had been sent out. You see that if you go back to Acts 13, 1, you'll see that in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And it lists the five men, at least five of the men who were the elders in the church there. Some were prophets, some were teachers, but they were the spiritual leaders in that church. But they had been sent out from that church earlier on the missionary journey that had birthed the Galatian church to whom he was now writing. We remember in our beginning introduction of our book of Galatians, we looked at all that. How they went sent out, they laid hands on them, they sent them out, and they went to all these different places. And God did a mighty work and churches were started. Paul is now writing to this same one of these churches that they let, uh, started on their missionary journey. But the reason they're writing them is because after they had returned from their first missionary journey, some men from the area of Judea came down to the church in Antioch and were teaching that the Gentile converts weren't really saved because they hadn't been circumcised and because they weren't following the law of Moses. Now, they were adding legalistic requirements to the gospel. Paul and Barnabas were sent by the church to, up to Jerusalem to meet with the church leaders there to discuss this issue. And this is the time I believe that Paul's referencing in Galatians 2, about 14 years later, he went back to Jerusalem to deal with a certain issue. Um, and I think this is what's going on. So kind of put this all in our minds because we're going to go somewhere with this tonight. Paul and Barnabas had gone on missionary journeys. Churches were started in the Gentile areas. People had gone in behind them and said the gospel that Paul's preaching is not the real gospel. He's preaching an easy believism gospel. You actually have to do these things too in order to be saved. And it even happened where some of those people went to the church where Paul was an elder in Antioch. And some of the people there went down to their, his, their church and said, you've got to be circumcised. Well, Paul and Barnabas have an issue with this, of course, because they have been taught by the Lord. Paul was taught by the Lord himself that the gospel is a gospel of faith alone, right? Salvation by faith alone through Jesus. And that's all. Not anything needs to be added. We know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, how we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. So no one can boast. It's a gift of God. Well, having an issue with this, they decide and the church sends them off to go up to the Jerusalem church in the area of Judea there and to talk about this issue, because that's where those guys had come from who were teaching this false doctrine. 
Now, Paul then, go back to Galatians 2 though, and look at what Paul says here about this trip. He brings out another aspect that doesn't come out in Acts 15, but he brings out another aspect though. Look at what he says in verse, uh, chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 2. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. And interesting here. Paul says that he had gone up, we see in Acts 15, he had gone up to talk to the leaders in the church in Jerusalem about this issue. But at the same time, Paul is double checking to make sure the message that he's been preaching is the truth. Now, if you were to compare Acts 15 verse 6 with Galatians 2.2, 2, you'll see that some people think that's the, this private conversation, if you will, that uh, they were having. Because in the situation in Acts 15, we're going to deal with this a lot more tonight later on. In the situation in Acts 15, when Paul and Barnabas got there to the church in Jerusalem, you'll see that they were greeted by the whole church and the apostles and elders were there as well. And someone from the church stood up and said, they were from the party of the Pharisees, we think the Gentiles need to be circumcised in order to be saved. And if you look at Acts chapter 15, verse 6, you'll see that the apostles and the elders kind of went off by themselves to deal with this issue. We're going to talk a lot more about this at the end of the message, but I'm going to just give you a little commercial here. Do you understand that this issue wasn't wrestled with on the floor of the church by everybody? Why was it wise for them not to have this issue be wrestled by the, on the floor of the church by everybody? I'm sorry? It will cause more dissension. Go ahead. Anyone who's been in a church business meeting knows what we're talking about. There are certain things that the, those who have been given the insight, if you will, the leadership responsibility, the wisdom, who have moved into leadership that God has set apart, they're to be wrestling with certain things. And you're going to deal with, we're going to show you tonight at the end of this time, the balance that God has designed that's supposed to be in our churches between leadership, authority, yet the body being involved in the whole process. I'm going to show you how that all works out. We've unfortunately gone to two extremes where there are churches that have elder leadership and the body has no input, and there are other churches that the body has, they, they make all the decision and everything. That was never God's design, and we're actually messing ourselves up because of that. I'm going to show you the balance of the two. But during this time that the elders and the apostles go off to wrestle with this issue. Here we see in Galatians 2, Paul took this as his opportunity to double check his message. Isn't that interesting? How many of us are a little bit surprised to see Paul? He's human? No, not just human. He's wise and he's humble. Here he is saying, look, man didn't teach this to me. I got this message from Jesus himself. And we've already looked at how the Lord took him away for three years in the area of the desert of Arabia. And he had been taught by Jesus. And we looked at the places where Paul shared things in, the, in, in his letters that we didn't read about in the Gospels. But he said, I received from the Lord. Yet at the same time, and this is very important for where we need to go. He's also willing to humble himself under the authority of those who were in authority before him. Go to Philippians chapter 2. We're in Galatians. Go over to Philippians chapter 2. Look at verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, 
So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, we've seen this passage for years, and we've seen how Paul was telling them, you better take serious this relationship you've been given with God. You better, you better examine yourself, if you will. You need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because it's God who works in you, both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. But how many of us have ever thought that Paul would ever apply it to himself? I'll be honest with you. As I was looking at this, it kind of caught me by surprise a little bit. I've read Paul giving this admonition, but I never thought about Paul checking his own stuff. But then I started to think about it. You know what? All through the scriptures, we've seen this attitude in Paul. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Look what he says in verses 7 through 20. He says, but whatever gain I had, after he listed his heritage and his being a Pharisee of the Pharisees and all that kind of stuff, he said, well, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anyone... Anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you of and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You see what Paul's saying here? He says, I don't know about you, he said, but I am continually moving forward to make sure that I am living fully for what the reason why Jesus saved me. And if anybody's mature, they're going to have that view of things. And how many of us over the years have known Christians who have become, I'm just going to put it nicely, fat and happy. I'm going to heaven when I die. That's good enough for me. I shared with you before how I grew up in this church in New England where the older ladies used to always say, oh, I don't worry about rewards in heaven. It's good enough for me that I'm going to be there. I'm happy with just being there. And I used to, as a kid, thinking, think to myself, man, what spiritual ladies? They're content. <laughs> And the more I studied the scriptures, the more I realized the Bible says, no, take seriously what we've been given. Understand your security in Christ, but don't let that make you become lazy. You to be sincerely, continually examining 
and making sure that what you're doing lines up with his word. There's false teachers out there. There's doctrines taught by demons in the last days. Don't just say, well, I'm good. I got my doctrine all figured out. Continue to go forward, straining, straining forward to learn more and to keep and, and be honest with you. I thank God, and, 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 and I'm almost one of you, so don't take this the wrong way, but I thank God for the gray hair in the room. Because look what's going on. This is a Tuesday night. This isn't Sunday or Wednesday when you're supposed to be there. This is actually a Tuesday night when you want to be here to wrestle the Word of God and to be fed. And I just want to praise you for that and thank God for it. Because that means that you're striving to learn more and to know Him more. Actually, Paul talked about it some more. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verses 24 through 27. He says, Don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. <clears throat> Look at that. Paul said, I'm taking serious this relationship that I have. I want the reward that God has for me. I, as some of your translations say in Philippians chapter 3, I want to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Remember, we've not only been saved, we, as we looked at last week, He has already decided ahead of time before we are even born what He wanted to do through us and what he knew, how He wanted to manifest Himself. Paul says, look, I'm not just happy that I'm going to heaven. That's not enough. Because if that was just going to heaven was enough, we would die the moment we accepted Christ. No, that'd be a way to know whether or not someone was really saved. You know? <laughs> The moment you say, you know what, Lord, I trust you. Boom. Okay, that one's gone. But, but God leaves us here for a reason, folks. And Paul says, I want to make sure that the message I'm preaching, which remember we saw last week, that he had been set apart before he was born to be a preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul said, while I was up there dealing with this issue in Jerusalem, I kind of went off to the side with some of the leaders to make sure that the message that God had put on my heart to the preach to the Gentiles was accurate. Wow. What humility. What humility. I want to, well, I put it in my notes here. If Paul double-checked his message and his motives, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? Paul, in describing his encounter to double-check his message with the apostle before him, tried to walk a thin line, though. He had to walk a real thin line. And we're going to go back to Galatians, and, and you're going to see this, this little balancing act that he had to act, had to walk, okay? Uh, he tried to walk a thin line between getting the approval of the apostles before him and seeking their approval too much. All right? Remember, he's just said, this message I'm preaching to you didn't come from man. It came from the Lord. Yet, I wanted to double check and make sure that the message that I was preaching was accurate. And so I met privately with these guys. But look at how he words it. Look at what he says here, and we'll start in the middle of uh, um, uh, verse 2. In order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. All right. Actually, let's go to beginning of verse two. Let's just back up. For beginning of verse two, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, and I love how it's in parentheses in my Bible, though privately before those who seemed influential, 
the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. All right. Now we'll deal with Titus and his circumcision and why he wasn't and all that kind of stuff. We're going to deal later on, not tonight, with why Titus wasn't circumcised. But at some point, Paul had Timothy circumcised and all that kind of stuff. We'll deal with that at another study. But look at what he says in verse eight. He says, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. All right. And then he says in verse nine, and when James and Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now, here's the balancing act that Paul's trying to walk. He's wanting them to understand, I humbled myself to make sure that this message agreed with those in authority who had been given this message to preach before me. But I don't want you to think for a second that my authority came from them. Where did his authority come from? From God and his word. All right. This is a hard thing for all of us. We have a tendency to want to magnify and worship man. Have you ever noticed over the years, especially because of the silly, and I hate to say it, but it is, the silly church growth movement that hit our churches and started around the late 60s, early 70s, and the church growth movement started hitting the churches. I remember when I was in seminary, they used to teach us the church growth spiral. And if you learn the process of how it is, you can grow your church. And there's this, that became the movement, and it's affected a lot of things unfortunately in a bad way. But we, then we went through a, a, a cycle in Christendom where we loved it when a celebrity got saved. And then all of a sudden we just started parading that person around, right? Because we thought all of a sudden if so-and-so, I'm not going to name any names, if so-and-so is now out there preaching the gospel because pe people will listen now because a celebrity has gotten saved. And we thought that the, the message would have more power because a celebrity was saying it, didn't we? No. Yeah, well, we did. That was the attitude of the church. We sure did. We bought into it. We were all excited. So-and-so, everybody respects that person. They're saved. We'll get them to go preach in the pulpits. Go with me real quick. Put a bookmark in Galatians. Go with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16. Luke 16, verses 27 through 31. This is in the story of the Lazarus and the rich man. Now, you notice I didn't say parable. I don't believe this is a parable. I believe this is an actual story because Jesus is actually naming names. He didn't say there once was a man or there once was. No, no. He named names. And I believe without question that this story he's telling is referring to someone that everybody in that area knew. That they knew who Lazarus was. And that, in this story, as you know, Lazarus dies and was carried into the presence of God. The rich man died and was buried, and he awoke in Hades. And the rich man is able to see into heaven where, Abraham, where, where uh, Lazarus is. And look at what it says in Luke 16, verses 27 through 31. And then he said, Then I beg you, Father, send, him to, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, they got the word of God. And he said, no, 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 Father. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. 
Now there's a lot being said there. Of course, he's also referring to himself. But listen to what he says. He says, you think that if some, someone back from the dead preaches it, then they'll listen. You think the power is in the messenger. The power is not in the messenger. Paul was humbling himself to go and follow God's design for authority. We don't like that word, especially nowadays. But Paul understood God's design for authority and he humbled himself and he submitted himself to those who were apostles before him. And he humbled himself and said, I want to make sure this message is lining up with the truth. Yet, he goes, I don't want you to think for a second that I'm now someone you can listen to because Peter, James, and John said I was okay. The power's not in the man. The power is in the message itself. And we have to be real careful. God didn't have any favorites. Remember how he said that back in Galatians? God didn't have any, he shows no partiality. He didn't have favorites. He really is so to draw attention to the gospel. He'll, he'll draw the crowd. Tim Tebow. Right, exactly. But what he does in that time is the message itself is what has the power. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the there, he'll use lots of, not just celebrity, he'll use lots of ways to, to gain a hearing. That's what, that's what the miracles were for. That's why when the people would go into town, they would start healing. And all of a sudden, people would start coming, a crowd would come, and the message would be preached. Now, that's the problem, though, is if everybody that all of a sudden makes healing their ministry, they have a healing ministry? Uh-uh. The miracles, that was to get the attention for the message. That's why in some parts of the world, I believe God's still raising people from the dead. I believe in, the miracles are still happening. But we don't see them as much here because the purpose of the miracle is to gain a hearing for the message. Well, we've got plenty of opportunities to get the message out here in America. You're not going to see them as much here. But trust me, in other parts of the world where the gospel hasn't been there as much as it has here, God is still doing those types of things. Yeah, people would rather watch TV here, that's for sure. Um, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verses 10 through 17 and see this problem that we have of wanting to follow the person. Look at verses 10 through 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling. I love the fact that he named the snitch. All right. <laughs> that it that reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas, which is Peter or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. Oh, I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't, don't know whether I baptized anybody else, all right, in case you legalists are out there counting every word, every name. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, Eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. There's a problem in all of us to be a follower of so-and-so. Oh, I love so-and-so's preaching. He's the best. And that's the only one I even listen to now. Folks, when we start putting any emphasis on a glory on man, we've totally pulled ourselves away from God's design that the glory go to him and the power be in the message. Now, at the same time, though, 
we have to understand that God has designed authority. And Paul humbles himself under this. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verses 12 through 14. Paul says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are what? What's the next word? Over you. That's chapter 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love, not because of who they are, not because of their gifts, but because of their work. Because of the position God's given them. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Here Paul says, look, there are those in the church that God has given some authority and some responsibility to be overseers, to be your parents. Please respect them for the position that God's given them. And if anybody understood this, it was Paul who himself humbled himself and submitted himself to those who were apostles before him. Yet, don't think for a second that I'm now approved because Peter stamped off on me. The powers and the authority is from God, but I was still understanding that God has this, and I humbled myself. Now, isn't it interesting that in this conversation, Paul is having to defend his own authority? And the position God's given him. And that the ironic thing of all this? Here he is showing how he humbled himself and put himself under the authority of those ahead of him. Yet at the same time, the reason he's even writing this is because he's having to defend his own apostolic position. His own place of authority that God's given him. Because people are questioning his authority. And as I was preparing my study to go further into Galatians, God said, Jim, that's as far as you're to go in Galatians tonight because there's something else I want you to deal with. Now, there are some of you here tonight that are members of Central Baptist, and I'm going to give you a little commercial. You're going to hear some more of this tomorrow night, because I've been asked to become the, be the speaker at the Pastor Appreciation Banquet there at your church. We're going to go into this in a lot more detail tomorrow night, but I really felt like God said that with where we are, we can't stop and not go a little bit. We can't just stop here. We have to go further. It is October, is it not? In our churches? Mm -hmm. What do we know about October in our churches? It's what month? Yeah. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. Now I'm going to tell you straight up and be openly honest with you. Having been a pastor for over 20 years, I never liked Pastor Appreciation Month. You know why? Because of the same reason that a lot of you wives don't really like Valentine's Day. If your husband doesn't treat you the way he should all year, yet buys you chocolates on Valentine's Day, they ring a little hollow, don't they? Amen. And folks, I don't know if you realize it or not, but in our churches today, we may give the pastor an extra couple of bucks. We might buy him a round of golf. We might have a banquet. But do our churches today actually treat their pastors the way the Bible says they're to treat their pastors? Throughout the year. Go to first, first Timothy chapter five. First Timothy chapter five, verses 17 through 22. 
verses 17 through 22. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 through 22. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Listen to that again. I'm going to go slowly through this because the sad thing is many of us have probably heard these passages referenced once in a while. But most pastors have a hard time preaching this passage and actually breaking it down because they're concerned that everybody will think, well, you're only preaching that because, it, you know, it's a, it benefits you. Well, guess what? I'm not any of y'all's pastor <laughs> and you can't fire me. So I'm going to tell you what this passage really says. And many pastors, unfortunately, have been afraid to say says, let the elders, remember there are those who are over you in the Lord, who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. That doesn't mean you give them a banquet once a year. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And you know what's sad in our churches today? The joke has been going around. All he does is work one day a week. I was at a church this past week and a man right there in front of the pastor as I was standing there made this comment to me. You should see how much we pay this guy and all he does is preach one sermon every week. They're to be worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. By the way, part of the reason why our churches are the way they are and as weak as we are in our churches is because the pastors aren't allowed to go labor in their study and prayer. I was a pastor for so many years and there were times that I would set apart for prayer and I'd be in my office and I would just be praying. But I had a window in my door so you could always see what was going on in there for accountability purposes. But people would look in, they'd see me praying and they'd say, oh, good, you're not doing anything. You got a minute? <laughs> we do not take seriously the importance of saying to our preachers and our teachers, we don't want you at this meeting. We don't need you at the hospital. We want you to be in the word living in this book. We want this to become how you understand who God is. And then you can teach us because that's what it says in the first. I mean, so in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 16, it was God who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Listen, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the equipping of the body. To do the work of the ministry, to the leading, the leading people to Jesus Christ, not the pastor's job. To visiting people in the hospital, not the pastor's job. To minister to the body. As you look in that passage, it says that the body builds itself up. But listen, listen to what it says also. So that we will no longer be infants tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of, de of, of deceitful scheming and men and, and all that. Listen to what it says. If the pastors are allowed to feed in the word and equip you with the word, you will become what you're supposed to be and the body be what it's supposed to be. But we think that the pastor is supposed to be there for us. And we we actually don't respect the fact that he's supposed to labor in prayer and study in the ministry of the word of God. And we expect that to be one of his many duties. And then we get upset when we think, well, that wasn't very exciting. That was a boring message. Well, I wonder why. I know uh, I, the church I was at in Chicago and I had just come in as a young pastor and this one family had come back because they had heard that I was there and they wanted to come hear me preach. But as, when I visited them, I found out that the reason they had left the previous time was because the pastor wasn't there when their grandson had a nosebleed. And I'm not kidding you. They had a grandson who had nosebleeds, and so he had a doctor's appointment, and the doctor was going to cauterize his nose in his office. And they told the pastor that our grandson's having his nose cauterized on Friday, which was the pastor's day off. And the pastor wasn't there to pray with them when his, the grandson was having his nosebleed taken care of. 
And they left the church because he wasn't there for them. Let me read it to you again. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, look closely what he says here. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. Now, I'm going to stop here before I go on any further. Folks, remember how it talks about double honor? It's more than just understanding and respecting that God has called them to live in the word and to study and to pray and to preach and to teach the word. It's also making sure that you pay them well. So much so that money should never be even an issue for these people. That they won't have to deal with some of the other struggles. Talked with a pastor today who told me that he and his wife had to just sell some of their gold to be able to meet their bills. I go, you got gold? He goes, old necklaces, broken necklaces. I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. You know, I was like, there's, there was a, some of you have been around long enough. You've heard this saying, Lord, send us a poor, humble preacher. You keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. Yeah. Folks, let me just tell you. You should not say, well, we don't have the money. No, no, no. If the Bible says that you're to do it, you trust what God says and you watch how God provides. You make sure that your pastors, by the way, not just the only pastor, because there are other pastors. You have youth pastors and associate pastors and music pastors. Those who have been called to lead and to equip and to teach, and to preach, and to use the gifts that way. Make sure that they are paid so well that the money is not an issue for their family. So they can just do what God told them to do. And they're not worrying about having to get a side job. Or they're not having to come home every night to a wife who says, we don't have any money for groceries. He then goes on and says this. Look at verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and all the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. And then he goes on and says, don't be hasty in laying on hands. In other words, don't be hasty in deciding who's going to be an elder. You know, kind of a deal. But now listen closely what it's talking about here. Listen to what, what I'm saying. There are times that people, yeah, yeah, about the pastor, right? We've all heard it. The Bible says, don't even listen. Now, if an elder is sinning, the Bible says that they're to be rebuked and publicly. But most of the stuff that we get in our little gossip circles about isn't sin. It says, we don't like the decision. We don't like the direction he's taking our church. I don't think that he should have done that. And we fuss over whether or not he made this decision or that decision or whatever. And the Bible says, if you hear that going on, don't even entertain it. Don't even entertain it. Oh, let me just tell you straight up. I love you, but I'm going to tell you the truth so that you know what's coming. The Bible says that we will be held accountable for every idle word. Don't just give them a banquet or a box of chocolates on Valentine's Day. You really understand what the Bible says about authority and about God's design for leadership in the church? Take serious. Well, what if I don't like? That's not the issue. The issue isn't whether or not you like them. The issue isn't whether or not you think that this, that or the other. The issue is, did God give them that role? Remember how David used to treat Saul? He didn't even want to raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. 
And then, and at one point he had the chance to kill him and he decided I'm going to cut off a piece of his robe and then I'll show him I had the chance to kill you. And when he realized what he had done, he was even grieved that he had cut his robe. Oh, God will take care of the Saul's. Oh, and they're out there. We got, we got some bad preachers out there. I understand that. We got some bad leadership out there. I understand that. But what is your view of who God really is? Do you think he needs you? Allison? If we remember that it's not our church, it's God's church, it helps a lot. It sure does. The sad thing is a lot of people think they are defending God by fighting the pastor. I know he is a he's a very big boy and he can't handle himself. So folks, make sure that they're taken care of financially. Unless it's biblical sin that they're involved in, don't even listen to complaints against them. Let them do their vocation, by the way. The word vocation means calling. Let them do their vocation according their calling according to the one who called them. In other words, stop make, trying to make them fight Goliath in your armor. Remember how I talked to you about that earlier? How David had been called by God to go fight Goliath. And of course, David shows up to Saul and, and, and Saul says, I just don't think you're, you have enough experience. David says, well, actually, I've been, God's been preparing me my whole life for this. I fought the lion. I fought the bear. It might not look like the experience that you are looking for, like the seminary degree. But uh, um, I, I think God's called me for this. And Saul said, okay, the Lord be with you, but you've got to do it wearing my armor. And we have done that to many of our pastors today. And we know that we say God's called you, but you have to do it according to our bylaws and according to our rules. And we wonder, well, <laughs> I put it in my notes this way. Gifts are nice, but if you treated your spouse the way you treat your pastors, but gave your spouse a gift in October, you'd know why so many pastors and churches end up in divorce. Hold them in high regard because of the position God has given them. Like children are to obey their parents. Why? Because that's the way God designed it. That's the way God designed it. Go with me real quick to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verses 17 and 18. It says, Obey your leaders. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Don't think that God's taking lightly the responsibility the pastors have either. It says in the book of James chapter 3, don't y'all want to be teachers because those who speak, thus says the Lord, are going to be held in higher accountability. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Folks, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I want to go where we need to go in our closing here. But let me just say, at this time of the year, I'm not saying don't give a banquet. I'm not saying don't give a nice gift. But it might be even a better thing to maybe take some time to really get along with your pastor and, and ask for forgiveness. And to set apart in your mind that, you know what, God is going to take care of this church because it's his church. And God's going to do what he wants to do. And if so-and-so is not doing it as God wants, they'll be held accountable before God. But it is not my job to take God's role to hold them accountable. And I'm, I'm just going to pray that you as a church individually, and however it lies with you, 
that you're going to be someone that's not going to fall prey to those in the church who are going to get you sucked into all that stuff. That's why I tell people when I talk about this Bible study how much we love it. Because we don't get and talk about our churches. <laughs> We're from like 10, 15 different churches. We come and get together and talk about Jesus and His Word. Isn't that fun? You know you're going to get here and talk about anything but Jesus and His Word, and it's fun, and you're going to see people that know the Lord and you love each other, and it's just a cool thing. Let's go back now to Acts 15 then, and let's take this and show you something that God wants you to see about the balance between the body's input and God's design for authority. In Acts chapter 15... Look at verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small discussion and debate with these people that had come and said they had to be circumcised, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to who? To the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by who? The church. You see, the, the church said, we want you to go. The body's involved. They passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by who? Church. The church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, remember, the whole church is involved at this point. It's necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. So again, if you will, on the floor of business meeting, someone stood up and said, this is what I think ought to be. They did not say, well, do we need a second? And let's open it for discussion. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Those who have been given the responsibility. See, I, I try and teach churches this, as I try to help churches understand God's design for leadership and authority. It's God's design for your home is the exact same design that He has for the church. We may not follow it, but we do all understand what God's design for authority in the home is. He has given us moms and dads, and they have been given the authority and the responsibility to lead that home. Now, in a healthy home, mom and dad say to the kids, where would you like to go for a vacation? What would you like for dinner? Now, in a, in a healthy home, do the kids get to make the final say? No. Oh, no, they would love it. I mean, we got three kids, and there's been times that we'd, we'd be discussing something, and they realize the vote's not going the way they want it, and they'd say, let's have a vote. <laughs> And what they're thinking is, there's three of them and two of us. And I remember saying, yeah, we can vote, but you got to understand something. Mom and dad's vote each count for two. <laughs> you get input from your kids. You get to feel for where they are, what's going on, what's happening. But ultimately, who's responsible for the decision and will be held accountable before God? Mom and dad. Now, oh, by the way, within mom and dad, the elders... The Bible says that the husband is the head of the home. Correct? Yeah. Now, it is an ungodly design if the husband says, that means I get to make all the calls. Yeah. No, because where it says in, in Ephesians, wives submit to your husbands, that word hypotasso in the Greek means a voluntary submission due to respect for God's design for authority. In other words, a man can never, ever, ever, ever say you must submit because the passage says the passage does not say she must submit. The passage says that she's to voluntary, voluntarily submit because of God's design for, for the position of authority that he's given over her. That's why we have those passages that talk about if a woman prophesies in a church, she needs to do it with her head covered. We've turned it into she's got to wear a doily or a rag or something. No, that's not what it's talking about. 
in that passage, in the context, says that God is the head of the church and the head of the husband. The husband is the head or the authority of the woman. The woman's allowed to preach in church. She's allowed to speak in church as long as she does it under the authority of the permission of her husband or the leaders or the elders or the men. Do you understand? There's authority that God's designed. Now, it was never God's design that the elders make all the decisions and the body has no input. But it was also never God's design that the body make all the final say. And in a lot of our churches, we might even have a committee go who have been appointed to go wrestle with an issue. But then they come back. Who makes the final say? The body. Oh, and by the way, they do it in a, what, 15-minute vote? When they haven't even prayed, they haven't even wrestled with it. Let me ask you an honest question from Scripture. Does the Bible say that in the last days there'll be many in the church who really aren't saved? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. I mean, that's, that's a no-brainer. There isn't a person that understands the Scriptures who doesn't understand that there's going to be weeds among the wheat. Parable of the weeds and the wheat. And are we to try to figure out who's saved and who's not? No. That's why all the way through the Scripture, by the way, you'll see all these passages of encouragement, of security of the believer, yet at the same time warnings. And that's why there are some people who think you can lose your salvation. Look at what it says. No, no, no. The writers of the books of the Bible understood that when they spoke to the church, there were the Judases among them. Jesus, who had told Peter and the other disciples in the upper room in John 13, you're all clean. Oh, not every one of you. He had also said in that upper room, woe to the one who betrays the son of man and be better that he'd never been born. And the rest were all freaking out going, who is it? Who's he talking about? Is that warning for me? No, relax. You're clean. If you're, if you're in Christ, you're in Christ. But there's warnings. Why? Because there are among us those who aren't truly of us. All right. You just all agreed with me that the Bible says there'll be many in the last days who aren't truly saved, who are members of our churches. And we're not to try to figure out who's who. Then why do we give them all an equal vote when we seek the will of God? You're letting unbelievers rule the church. And we wonder why we're in the mess we're in, folks. Oh, and be ready for this. If you even try to even go down this road, there are people in your church that think it's the Baptist way or that the, the, we have priesthood of the believer. That means we all get an equal say. No, it's not what the Bible teaches. There's a balance here. And there are those that, and ultimately, when I submit myself, as Paul did here in Galatians chapter 2, I'm doing it because of my design for God's putting people in authority. You want to do a fun study? You just look up the word authority in your Bible and go and take a look at the word authority. It even says in Romans 13 that we're to submit ourselves to the governing authorities in the world, even though they're ungodly. Why? Because God's the one who gave us authority for our best and for our reason. And part of the way that we show our following and our obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ is we submit ourselves to the governing authorities. Oh, we get involved in the voting process and hopefully you will. Next time we meet together, hopefully you all come in with one of those stickers that says, I voted. But ultimately, we're putting our eyes on God, aren't we? Amen. If you don't, you're in a mess. I'm begging you, by the word of God, to understand that there needs to be authority in our churches and we need to trust God. And you watch what God does when we go there. He's able to do what he wants to do. And he'll deal with those who need to be dealt with. So maybe it's not a bad time that we have Pastor Appreciation Month. Maybe this will be the time we kick off Pastor Appreciation Year. God's design decade. I hope we're not here that long, but if that's the case, that's okay with me. The leaders of the elders, by the way, when they got together to wrestle over this issue of whether or not they needed to be circumcised, 
just real quick, you've heard me teach on how to know God speaking. He speaks through His Word, through prayer, and through His Spirit, and circumstances, and other believers. You'll find all five of those in there. They got together, and they shared from God's Word. They shared experiences. They said later on in verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with any more. They let God show them, but they were spiritual enough and mature enough to know how to hear that God was speaking. And they came out of that decision, and they said, here's what we've decided. Remember, there were some people from the party of the Pharisees who had just stood up in front of all those people and say, they need to be circumcised. But when they came out of the room, you see no argument with it. And you don't see the church taking a vote. Why? Because the attitude of the congregation was that they were going to accept whatever the elders decided because they were the ones who had been given that responsibility by God. We shared what we thought, but whatever they decide, we're going to trust God. Oh, and by the way, the Bible then says, the leaders said to the church, why don't you guys pick who's going to go with this letter from our church down to, to the church in Antioch to pass it on? There's, you're teaching them to become leaders themselves one day. Folks, God's designs all the way through. Your older kids in your home, as they get a little more mature, they become deacons. They do. You say to them, hey, would you drive your brother to practice? Would you help make dinner? Would you take care of some physical needs so that mom and dad can take care of some of the other more pressing issues? Just because your kid's older doesn't mean he's mom and dad yet. Deacons aren't elders. There's a difference. But in time, you want them to become parents of their own, correct? And if we've been following God's design, we wouldn't have to put a committee together to go look at resumes to find a new pastor. They would have been trained and equipped and matured and it would become evident to the body. Look at the gifts. This is the one of the ones, one of the ones. Remember, there's a plurality of leadership that God is raising up to lead this body. And they know us. They're, among, they're one of us. Oh, it's so cool when we actually get back to it. Now, I understand that what I'm talking about here is we're going to require a huge change in our churches. We're talking rewrite constitution and bylaws. And trust me, I don't want to do that. But I'm just sharing with you God's word, and I'm going to trust that God led me here for a reason. Those of you who are in leadership in your churches in whatever capacity, just pray that God would give you wisdom as to how he would begin to make these changes. Even if nothing changes in your church's paperwork-wise, it can begin with you and your attitude toward those in authority, and you can stop listening when you get the latest email or text or phone call about the yang-yang about the pastor. Let it stop with you. Let it stop with you. Because if Paul, Paul humbled himself to submit himself to the authority of those who have been given that position ahead of him, we should do the same. We should do the same. Let me pray for us. Father, oh, there's so much more I want to just jump into as we look at Titus and Timothy and circumcision and no circumcision and why here and why not there. But for tonight, this is where you want us to just stop. And I pray, Father, that what you want to accomplish through what you've shown us tonight would begin to take root just first in our hearts. That we would understand your design for authority and that it's good. That we would stop resisting it and trust you. But it would because of our, be because of our faith in you and your sovereignty and your will and your plan that we can humble ourselves. And Lord Jesus, as I think about this, I think about you. When you were 13 years old and you were in the temple and your parents came and said, Why'd you do this to us? And you said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And the next verse says, you submitted yourself to their authority and you went with them. Jesus, you understand this. You're God. You created the people who were saying, why'd you do this to us? And even though they didn't understand why you were there and what your purpose was at that time, you, because of God's design for the family, humbled yourself and submitted yourself to mom and dad. Lord, may we do the same. 
And I know we'll be blessed for it. We ask this in your name. Amen.